0: All right, if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. But before I get started there, I I wanted to uh, just ask you a question. Anybody here remember taking the SAT? (laughs) So for uh, some of you, I'm guessing it's a little little, uh, fresher memory maybe than for others, right? Uh, I vividly remember taking the SAT the first time I took it. So for those of you that's a real distant memory, let me just remind you how the the exam is actually structured, It's in sections, and you have a limited amount of time for each section, and when you finish that section, you can't go back and fill in stuff you missed, and you can't go work ahead and move forward if you finish it a little bit early, right? It's just section by section by section. So I remember we were into, I don't know, section two or three, something like that, and it was a a math section, and, and I'm just cranking it, I'm thinking, oh my gosh. I'm, just, I'm so glad I'm so good at math, and I'm just motoring through this whole section, and I finished it, and I looked around me, and everybody's still furiously working, and, and I, I remember thinking to myself, yeah, I, I, am, I am good at math, and I'm, I'm probably the smartest person in the room right now. You know, they're just scrambling away, and I'm, I'm, man, I'm just kicking back, right? Just looking at my pencils, sharpen another one, and you know, I, it just went on. It was like 10 minutes, I thought, yes, I've nailed this thing. National merit. Easy. And then the proctor of the exam said, okay, close that section, turn to the next. And so I turned the page, and I realized I had left two pages blank. Yeah, and I thought to myself, uh, maybe not the smartest person in the room right now. I guess I'll get to take this exam again. Right, I, I, I use that illustration just to say this. There is something in each and every one of us that, that we search for things in ourselves To allow us to feel superior to others. We all have that. Here's me and then here's you. And we want to find those things in ourselves that we can say, this is what makes me superior to you. It's It's called pride and it's really gross and ugly. And it's in every single one of us because we inherited it from Adam and Eve. Remember when Satan came and he tempted Eve, he was tempting her With pride, He was saying to Eve, Eve, you don't actually have to live under God. You can be your own God. Just take the fruit and you will be God. And so she took the fruit and she ate and she handed it to Adam and he ate. And you know what they felt immediately? They felt shame. They felt fear. They covered themselves over. They felt vulnerable to one another. This relationship that had been perfectly intimate now was a relationship that was Fear, filled with fear and shame and guilt. And really, that's the story of humanity. It's driven by pride and fear and shame and guilt that often expresses itself in anger and hatred. In fact, right after the taking of the fruit, the next recorded sin in the Bible is Cain kills Abel. Right, We jump from fruit-taking to murder, just like that. And why did Cain kill Abel? Because he was envious, he was jealous, he wanted... To be first, pride, fear, anger, shame, hatred—that's the story of human existence. And you know, the only thing, really, the only single thing that can overcome that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, people. That is it. That is the only message that brings hope and transforms us. Now, if you are jumping in for the first time in our study of Book of Ephesians, uh, if maybe you spend most of your time across the street, I'm going to kind of give you a, a really quick review and bring you up to speed where we are in our study. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, kind of summarizes the first half of the book, and it's this. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That is, everything good that heaven has to offer to mankind... God has given us in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say that includes being chosen by the Father. The Father said, I want you as part of my family. I want you to belong to me. And so we're chosen by the Father. But the Father can't simply bring us into his family without removing this barrier of sin. And so he redeems us in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ pays the penalty for our sin to remove the barrier between us and God. And then the Holy Spirit takes us and seals us over until the day of redemption so we're promised and guaranteed life with God that lasts forever. That's amazing, right? All of the spiritual blessings that heaven has to offer are given to us in Jesus Christ. But the question that the early church wrestled with was this. Is that available to everyone? And is it available to everyone without distinction. In other words, is that available whether you're male or female or rich or poor or slave or free or Jew or Gentile? This was probably one of the primary, if not the primary battle in the early church. Do we, are we all actually equal in Jesus Christ? Because in the culture of the first century, there was actually a lot of social division. And not unlike today. A lot of social division, a lot of social friction. Right? The Jews hated the Romans because the Romans had oppressed them and they had lived under oppression from various nations for 600 years and now it was the Romans' term. And the Romans despised the Jews and the rich envied, or the rich despised the poor, the poor envied the rich. Uh, women had no right, slaves longed to be free. There was incredible social tension and now uh, in Jesus Christ, these people are all supposed to come together as one. Right? That's, that's what Paul says. That's the power of the gospel. That's the implication of what the gospel can bring. And so he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15, in himself, that is in Jesus, he created the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. In other words, in Genesis chapter 1, God created Adam and Eve. And he put them in a garden. He put them in paradise, and he gave them perfection of relationship with one another and perfection of relationship with him and perfection of relationship with all of the created world. But then they turned away from that because they wanted to live independently from God and then entered pride and fear and anger and hatred and humanity was destroying itself. And then in Jesus Christ, something radical happened. In fact, in the first century, this, this moment happened by which we mark time. We call it A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord, the eternally existent Son of God took on human flesh. How is that possible? I don't don't know. The Bible doesn't explain it, but it says the eternally existent, omnipotent, omniscient Son of God took on human flesh, lived a perfect life, died a brutal death so that he could redeem each and every one of us from the penalty of our sins and then create us together into one new man. That is, restore humanity to what humanity was actually designed to be. But you know, that was hard for the church in the first century, and it's hard for the church today. In fact, the early church constantly struggled with this. Mark this, 15 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Apostle Peter was given a vision. He went up on his rooftop, and he had a vision. The vision came back to him three times. And in the vision, he was told to eat unclean foods. And God was trying to make a point to him. He's trying to make the point that people are no longer unclean, Peter. Right? I want you to remember something. This is 15 years after the resurrection. Peter. Remember Peter? I mean, Peter had some issues, right? He had some self-control problems with his tongue, whatever. But he's still, he's the rock, right? Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Peter, he's the one who preached the first sermon at Pentecost. He's one of the inner three. This is Peter, right? This is Peter, 15 years after the resurrection, Peter is completely and utterly a racist. Fifteen years after the resurrection, Peter still didn't understand the nature of the church, Jew and Gentile, together in one new humanity. And Peter was given a vision. Remember, and in his vision he was told, go down to Caesarea and I want you to preach to Cornelius, who's a Roman centurion, right? He's not just a Roman, but he's a, he's a Roman soldier. He's the worst of the worst. I want you to preach the gospel to him. And Peter was pretty hesitant, but finally he goes down and it says this. Peter said to them, that is the Romans, a whole group of them gathered. He says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. A couple of observations about this. First is this. Right before he got the vision, Peter was calling everyone who wasn't a Jew unclean. That was his mindset. Unclean. That is, Peter's saying to them, we talked about this briefly last week, but I want you to really feel what's happening in this moment. Peter goes to an evangelistic appointment, share the gospel with his people, and this is how he opens. He says, you realize as he's standing there at the doorstep, he's, you realize that if I come into your house, if I touch your hand, if I eat your food, my God will no longer like me. That was my attitude. But then notice he says, but God has shown me. God has shown me. God has shown me that I was wrong. I, I understand the death, burial, and resurrection. I saw it for myself 15 years ago, but now God has shown me something new. I'm beginning to understand better the nature of the church itself. And you're not unclean. And I can be with you, and I can share the gospel with you freely, and I can fellowship with you freely, but God had to show me that. God had to show me that. And men women, God has to show us that. Right? Oftentimes you can't look in the mirror and see anger, or fear, or hatred, or pride. It takes, in a sense, kind of getting out of ourselves a bit and, and looking at ourselves from a different perspective. I know being out of this country and then coming back into the country, I was able to see my own nation a little better. I was able to see myself a little better, my own attitudes a little bit better. And so this morning, we're going to do something a little different. Uh, I've asked a friend of mine to come and join me. Who's from a, his background is different than mine. And he's going to share a little different perspective to help us maybe open our eyes and let the Spirit pull back our own blinders so that we can see uh, our own attitudes and our own responsibilities a bit better than we do today. So I want to give you a little background. I've asked uh, Bishop Maurice Green to come and join us. Uh, bishop Green is the pastor of Lily of the Valley Church of God Christ in Christ in Bryan, Texas. Uh, he is um, also bishop. He's an overseer for his denomination for the country of Mexico. And I remember I was trying to get clarity on that from him. I said, so it's just Mexico, right? And he said, that's a big place, Brian. <laughs> just just one nation. Okay. Got that. Uh, he is here this morning with his wife, Barbara, and uh, their worship leader, Veronica Jackson, uh, sang with our team this morning. That yeah, was pretty amazing. Um, uh, I want to tell you, the, the first time that I met Bishop Green, I came home and I told m- my wife, I just said, oh my gosh, that I, I think that I was just blessed to be in the presence of one of the most godly men that I've ever met. Uh, Bishop Green, is. He's like, he's like a force in the room. He's a spiritual, he's just a spiritual force in the room. I told him, I said, if Bishop Green's going somewhere, I'm in. I'm in. He's a man with a deep, deep spiritual life. He loves the word of God. It just kind of Oozes out of all of his conversations. And one of the things that you'll also notice about him, and this is by common acclaim amongst all the pastors in the Bryan College Station community, he is the best dressed pastor. So would you welcome, please, Bishop Green, would you come on up? Maurice, thanks for joining us. Appreciate you being here and taking your time. Tell us, uh, let's just get started uh, personally. Just tell us. Um, maybe a little bit about your family. I know you've got a, a good family, and, and uh, your wife Barbara's here with us this morning. My That's wife my has
1: accompanied me this morning, and uh, it's Barbara. And Barbara and I have uh, six children. Barbara and I also have 25 grandchildren. <laughs> 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 we uh, lived in Bryant. We were born and raised in Bryant, and we left Bryant when I went into the Marine Corps. And... Uh, Stayed in California for 10 years. And uh, the Lord gave me an assignment, said, you go to Brian. He was sending me back to Brian. So I said, God, my wife ain't going to want to go to Brian. <laughs> he said, you go to Brian. I'll take care of your wife. So uh, we found our way back to Brian, and the Lord had given me an assignment. Uh, I saw a building that was incomplete. And the Lord said, preach the gospel, don't fight anybody, take your time. I thank God for sending me back and allowing me to meet Pastor Brian Fisher. God bless you.
0: Thanks, bro. Hey, so how long have you been pastoring here in our community? I've been pastoring in Brian about thirty-five years. Okay. Tell us a little bit about your own spiritual journey. Twelve years old,
1: my mom died. And it rocked my world. And uh, coming up as a kid, my grandfather was a Baptist preacher, pastored two churches, one in Bremont and one in Rockdale. And it was always something inside of me that was hungry for God. And uh, I found myself unsatisfied, longing, wanting more. And at 1963, I heard a revival. I heard the sound of a revival in a little church in the community called the Church of God in Christ, number one. And I found my way there in the cold of December, stood on the outside looking in. And when I looked in, I was afraid to go in because... I didn't know anybody, basically, and I didn't know that kind of service. It was a Pentecostal type of atmosphere. They were praising the Lord, and it was getting cold. It looked like God turned the cold upon me. <laughs> I think it was very cold, and so I, I decided, but let me go back. I had my brother with me, my baby, one of my baby brothers. He wanted to follow me, and I fooled him. I said, go in. You go in first. I'll follow you. (laughs) (laughs) So Wes, Wes is passed on now. Wes went inside and I'm watching Wes and Wes is in clapping his hands. I said, I'm laughing because I'm thinking, man, that's hilarious. Look at old Wes. Then all of a sudden, that's when God turned the coal up on me. I said, "Uh, I got to get Wes out of that. We got to get out of here. And uh, I told somebody, I said, tell my brother. I said, come on in, come on in. So I went in that church, sat at the back. When I sat at the back, they asked for someone that needed to know Jesus, whoever you are, come up. And so I went up, not knowing the power of God, not knowing that it was God's divine will for me to be there, that it wasn't by chance God was about to transform my life. All of that pain and suffering I felt from the loss of my mother, that longing, that desire to be loved and cared for, it was gone. The love of a mother I didn't have and that emptiness drove me to do things that I was not comfortable with doing. But when Jesus Christ came into my heart, he transformed me. It changed the way I was thinking. The Bible is true. Therefore, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he, he's a new creature. The old things are passed away. I'm a living testimony that Jesus Christ lives. In Mexico, uh, when we get up to preach, we say, Cristo vive. Donde vive? Vive adentro mi corazón. So, so I felt the power of Jesus Christ penetrating And purging me of that old man. I felt new. I felt different. My brother and I were walking back to the house that night. And I told him. I said Wes I feel good. I looked at my hands. Everything looked new around me. I didn't understand it. I could not articulate what had happened. I just knew it was clean. And I felt emptied of the things that held me bound. I felt A different position in my life. I felt motivated to love God more. And that's what happened to me. Before he called me into the ministry. To preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I preached the gospel all over the world. I didn't know when I was a kid. Growing up in the community. That God would. Use me to go into various places and to proclaim the gospel and to see lives changed. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It transforms, it revolutionizes, it cleanses, purges, it purifies, it sanctifies. It does exactly what God ordained it to do,
0: so I'm happy today. Thanks. To Thanks be a that. testimony for Jesus Christ. So this is a typical conversation with Maurice. He'll talk and then it's a, then it's a, a verse that just kind of pops out and rolls out. And this, this just, that's just how it, how it rolls. The scripture just kind of oozes out of him, which one of the things that I love. Um, tell us a little bit about, let's turn the corner a bit, and just talk about what was it like growing up as a young black man in Bryan, Texas? Because you experienced some things that I've only read about or, or seen in pictures. Talk to me about that.
1: 1947 I was born. And uh, racism was alive. Jim Crow and all of that. Fortunately for me, I grew up in a home of love. There were some things that my mom and dad did not teach me, or allow for me to embrace. But I was exposed to it. There was fountains, water fountains, there were toilets that said, colored only. There was water fountain that said, colored only. There was restaurants that you could not go into from the front. You had to go all the way to the kitchen, and you ordered your food there. So I I, I knew about it. I, I went to school, and the textbooks that, that we had were handed me down textbooks that had other children's names in it before they were handed to us. So... I grew up in a world of racism. I grew up when the haves wanted more and, and championed over the have-nots. So uh, I, I grew up when the time you had to say yes, sir, no, sir, to people that were probably younger than you because of the color of your skin. So I thank God for my life and my upbringing. But that's 1963 transformation changed me even more, made me love people that did not love me, made me understand the misgivings that had been launched toward me. I understood it in the face of Jesus Christ.
0: So, you know, maybe we don't don't see uh, labels on water fountains as much, but uh, that racism can still prevail? How do, you, how do you see it uh, today in the culture? Because I really kind of want to talk about two things this morning. One is, what do you see in the culture? Because maybe you're looking at the culture a little differently than I am. And then we'll turn and talk about what the church can do to kind of bring down those barriers.
1: You talked about Peter. The Apostle Peter did not know or did not see himself as a racist. This was the environment he'd grown up in. This is what he knew. So there are people that really don't associate themselves or declare themselves racist or biased or prejudiced. So there are some things that's that are that, subliminal that are hidden there and you only address them when you feel the urge to change or you feel the desire from God. Like you and I having this conversation today in grace, there's a reason for it. Maybe there are some hidden things that we have not addressed. Some unforgiveness, or some biases, some prejudices. My son said something to me. He said, The Lord dealt with him. He's a seminary student at Baylor. He said, The Lord dealt with him. And uh, by the way, his wife is an Aggie, so just in case I said. <laughs> Yeah, she's a graduate from Aggie. Matter of fact, my brother was in 1965. He was an Aggie. And uh, my son, my daughter, my son-in-law, my daughter-in-law, they're all Aggies, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, this Peter did not realize that he had this stigma. He was locked into personality the apostle Paul reprimanded Peter because he, he hung with people until the, the Jews came around. When the Jews came around, he, he, he pulled back from them. And so my son said, the Lord dealt with him and said, uh, uh, about dogs. He said, I love dogs. He said, I may not eat with dogs. I may not allow the dog to get in my bed. I mean, I'd allow the dog to even sleep in my house. But I love dogs. That's the way some people feel about people. They don't tell you. I love black people. Some of my best friends are black people. <laughs> but I don't want them in my house. Or black people say, I don't like white folks. I don't want them in my house. A friend of mine had an epiphany. He was a pastor in the city. He went down to Washington, Nebraska. And there he said he wanted to feel what it felt like. He was in one of the slave cabins. He wanted to feel what it felt like to be a slave. All of a sudden it hit him. He said he broke down and cried like a baby. He said his wife had to drive him home. This was a white pastor. It changed his life just like it changed the life of Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road. When you meet Jesus, you can never be the same. There is no room in your heart for prejudice or bias. But Jesus has to make the difference because you can't change yourself because you can't see the need to change. The eyes of your understanding has to be opened by God Almighty to see what God said. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, that means everybody included, that believeth in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And Jesus said, by this will all men know that you're my disciples, because you have love. The defining factor in reconciliation is love. That's the beast, that's the driving, that's the influence That's what motivates me to love everybody Because I'm about to show them a change I'm about to let my light so shine before them That they might see the good works of God and glorify him My understanding has been quickened My mind has been enlightened And I am to enlighten those that don't know who Jesus is And Jesus said to the Father This is life eternal that they might know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. What
0: did you, what did you ask me? doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, now I'm going to ask you another question. All right. uh, about, uh, about a year ago, I was having a conversation with uh, a young black friend of mine, a, a guy. And um, you know we've had a lot of racially charged incidents have, have erupted in our nation the last uh, couple of years. And I asked him, I said, just tell me when those things happen. You know, how do you, how do you feel? How, how does that strike you? And he made the comment, he said, anytime anything happens to a young black man, he said, I feel it personally. Do I feel it personally? I, I feel a sense of solidarity with him. It's like I was there. He's, it's like family. He said, I, that's how I feel. And I, you know, it was, it was a really good moment for me because I thought, you know, I told him this, too. I said, I don't feel that. You know, like if, if, if it's a, you know, something happens to a young white man, my immediate thought is, well, what happened? What, what happened in that incident? Who's at fault? You know, what, what, hap- what transpired? What did that kid do? What did the officer do? I just think about that moment in isolation. I don't, sense, I don't have any sense of solidarity just because this young man was white. And he said, oh, no, no. He said, that is not how I feel at all. And that was really illuminating to me. Can you, can you just talk about that for a minute? There is a fellowship, there is a camaraderie, there is a unity.
1: As a result of common suffering. I don't care what part of the world you come from. If I'm in Africa. When I go to Africa. If I'm in Kenya. If I'm in Uganda. Or whether I'm in Jamaica. Or the Bahamas. The blacks will say to me. Welcome home. There is a sense of belonging. So if I walk into a room and there are blacks in the room, maybe it's just one, I'm going to acknowledge that one black. I'm going to nod my head. I'm going to do something. They're going to know that there is a bond. Why that is, it's because of the common suffering. That's just like Harvey brought people together, neighbors helping neighbors, because of a common tragedy. People forget their prejudices. They unite themselves as one. They may change after everything is over, but during that moment, there's going to be solidarity. Mm -hmm. So when I see things like that, another policeman, white policeman kills a black teenager, a black man, I know that there's a possibility of an injustice as it reflects the law. And my heart grieves. It gets to the point sometimes that I I don't even want to watch it on Facebook because I know the outcome. And then I know justice many times won't be served fairly. It's seen as an imperatives. So I, I, I don't like it, but I still can't harbor resentment. The love of God in my heart constrains me to make excuses for the inadequacies of others
0: yeah. so if if a young black man comes to you and he's he, there's an injustice and maybe it's real, maybe it's not, but he comes to you and he 's angry at, at what's transpired in his life what do you what do you tell him? How do you help him? Well, from the love of Jesus
1: Christ, I have to look at him and deal with him from the love of Jesus christ i can 't talk to him from the old Maury screen because the old Maurice Green will think like Kunta Kinte. I will have to deal with it from another perspective. I have to talk to them from the love of God first. I will analyze the situation and see if there can be some dialogue created where they can bring about a peaceable solution. But never fueling the fire. Never feeding into the anger, the animosity, the resentment, the bitterness The retaliation, never, because Christ, my Redeemer, liveth in me. So it's no longer I, but it's the Christ. I'm a peacemaker. So that's who Christ has
0: transformed me to become. Okay, so why do you think that even still, not just in the society but in the church, why why is it so difficult to pull down those barriers and for people to, to love one another?
1: lack of communication Jesus Christ gave us the ministry of reconciliation and commissioned us to go in other words go and change the world just like I've changed you you go and change the world whatever you bind on earth I'll bind it in heaven in other words you're going to be my representative you're going to be my witnesses you're going to declare why God loved the world so so many times it's because you can't do it. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Watch what he says. But what the law could not do and that it was weak through my flesh. There are some things that I cannot do of myself. There's a power that has locked me into a behavior, and my responses are coming from another source. I need a power greater than that source to arrest me. Mm-hmm.
0: So what do, you, what do you believe the church can do, should do? How, how would you, you, you got a, a word to, you know, you want to commission the, these people to be uh, reconcilers in their marriages and families and in the community. W- what can the church do? How can it look different?
1: God in his infinite wisdom, when he looked down through the telescope of time and saw fallen humanity, that first Adam that had locked us into sinful behavior and disobedience and the promises that you said that God had for all men was lost because of the disobedient nature of man, God gave us a second Adam. The first was a living soul. The second was a quickening spirit. The second had power to transform and resurrect that first man and cause him to resemble the will of God. So if anything that we can do is to submit ourselves, watch what Paul said. Paul said, therefore being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have access into this grace wherein we now stand. Access. We have an ability to unite with God. Watch what should I say. Uh, if I went to Pebble Creek and tried to join the golf club, my money is too small. I don't have sufficiency. All I have to have is somebody on the inside. They can invite me and I can be exposed to all of the amenities that everybody in the club is exposed to. Though I could not afford it, somebody afforded it for me. That's what Jesus Christ does for families. He brings harmony out of disharmony. He brings peace out of confusion. Joy and gladness out of sorrow. Because God shows himself preeminent. Though the outward man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day. So Christ, our Redeemer, has given us abilities beyond the physical man. That he can give us to do
0: all things. Yeah, I don't know if you remember this or not, but we were at one of our, our lunches. We were talking about some of these issues. And um, uh, and I asked, you know, is is there anything that... We who are in predominantly white church and uh, white pastors—is there anything that we can do? What do we? What do we need? Is there anything that we need to to reconcile? There's a long history that we're stepping into. Do we need to ask forgiveness? I don't know if you remember this, but uh, James he said he said you don't you don't owe us anything. In fact, you know, there's nothing you need to do for us. We just want you to love us. Yeah. So just love us. And I and I feel like you know one of the miraculous things I think that we see happening uh, in our community of, of pastors is that. Um, There's actually a genuine desire to love one another. God has started something with us and some of the pastors
1: that we are fellowshipping with. Doesn't matter what ethnicity. We just come together. There are some things that we may not feel comfortable with in conversation, but there is something common about us that brings us. We have a common interest. As pastors, we want to see the people of God exposed to God and come to know God. And, and that's what drives us. And we realize that can only take place through love. So the love of God in you and the love of God in me say that there is no division. There is no separation. Mm-hmm. We're bonded together. And the love of God constrains us to understand what we cannot understand, and to associate, because Jesus Christ has paid for us to have this. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Amen.
0: Yes. I love that. And let me—I'm going to tie our, our conversation back into uh, Ephesians. It's from chapter three and verse eight. Paul says this. He says, "To me, the very least of all saints." This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. So, this is a Jew who had, uh, you know, I mean, he was, he was as committed to Judaism as possible. He was as proud of his Judaism as, as physically, humanly possible. And then God uh, blinded him on the Emmaus Road so that he could actually have his eyes opened. And he says, Now I preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. And then I bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. And I notice this. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to, through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. You see that? What he's saying is this. He's saying the church is on display, not just in front of the world, right? By this will all men know that you're my disciples. That's the world. But he says, actually... God is taking the church, and he's holding up it up in front of the hosts of heaven, and he's saying, I'm going to do through my son something in these people that you, you wouldn't even believe it. You can't even imagine it. I am going to break down the barrier of the dividing wall and make them one. And I'm going to, I'm going to, show, I'm going to show off the church. The church is the, the beautiful showcase. The church is my bride. And, you know, what does a husband want to do with his bride? He goes, oh, well, look at this. Wow. Can we just step back and admire? Well, that's what God is doing with the church, it's kind of like in the book of Job. Remember in Job, where, where all the angelic hosts are gathered around and he says, have you have you considered my servant Job? Wow, just look at Job. And Jesus is saying, wow, just look at the church. Look at the bride. Right? We, we're it. What can happen in the church in terms of, of reconciling people to God and then consequently people become reconciled to one another, that can only happen in the church. And in, in church, the, the mystery is that, that God would become human flesh. And then that God could die, that God would die for creatures that he had made, and then through the power of that gospel, that God could make one new humanity. Well, that's a mystery. The church is a mystery. But the church is also the stewards of the mystery, right? We possess this thing, and we're responsible to take this beautiful thing and to show it in the culture, because politics cannot solve the issues of the human heart. No societal program can do so. Only the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. That's it. All right? And that makes us uh, responsible. Since we've been reconciled to Jesus. Be, to become reconcilers.
1: That's powerful because. The apostle Paul starts to talk about the mystery. That was hidden from ages. Mm-hmm. He said that the Gentiles. Could be partakers. Because heretofore they were excluded. hmm And that was a practice. But when Jesus broke down the middle wall of petition, he included everybody. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, that's inclusive, that means everybody has an opportunity Come boldly to the throne of grace. Come unto me, all ye that labor. He said, the whole don't need a physician, but them that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners to repentance. So I, I think God, Paul also said, uh, the mystery was Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul said, well, but we have this treasure in the earthen vessel that the excellency of the power Might be of God and not of us. God showcases himself through us individually. Our bodies are the temple where the Holy Spirit dwells. Which temple we are? We are the temple of the living God. This is where God has taken up residence. He lives here. He shows forth his power. He shows forth his grace. He shows forth his ability to persevere, cast down, but we're not destroyed because we have this treasure. So the greatest moment of revelation is when you suffer and you don't retaliate. I thank God for the man, Martin Luther King. A lot of people didn't, but he wasn't a violent man. And I tried to thought, I was talking to my son. It was only through God that King could suffer such humiliation and such abuse without retaliating. And that's the way believers are. We don't fight back. Because this battle is not ours. Ours is to show the love of God. When they curse you, don't curse back. When they abuse you, don't retaliate. Love them that hate you. Do good to them that despitefully use you. When you can exemplify that, you overcome the works of Satan, the works of darkness. Because we are children of the light. So he said, now let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. We have a grand opportunity as a church to evangelize a sinful world, a lost world. We are the redeemed of the Lord. Peter said, we are chosen generation. We are royal priesthood. We are holy nation. We are peculiar
0: people. What you Did you talking? guys write down all those verses that so you guys right? <laughs> Okay, I'm going to give you one more. Right? Here, here's the verse I'm going to leave you with kind of as your commission. And uh, Bishop Green referenced this earlier. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, the new have come. Now, all of these things are from God who reconciled us to himself. Right? Vertical reconciliation we talked about last week. Through Christ, and then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that is horizontal reconciliation. We're reconciled to God so that we can be reconcilers. Namely, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg people on behalf of Christ. Please, we beg you, be reconciled to God. So I have a commission for you. Uh, I had some cards printed up there underneath the seats, uh, the pews on one end. If you would grab that stack of cards, pass it down. And um, on that card, it's printed front and back. It's got places that you can write names. Two people who are near, two people who are far. In other words, two people who, uh, these are friends or family. These are people that are like you, that, that you want to begin to pray and seek after, that they would trust in Jesus Christ and be reconciled to him. And you're going to pursue moments, opportunities to help them be reconciled to Jesus Christ. And then two people who are far. That is, I want to challenge you to begin to really pursue people who are not like you. you. When you get to know someone and you know about their children and you know their story and you know their history, it is a lot harder to look down on them. It is a lot harder to think less of them because you know them. And so I, I, we were talking about this uh, last year. You know, we, as pastors, we don't want to wait until the next crisis arises and then we go, oh my gosh, we should all get together, but can you tell me your name again? I mean, you know, how, does that, how does that really lead spiritually in our community? We need, to, we need to know one another. And so two people who are near that you want to see trust Christ and then two people who are far, that are different from you. And then you'll notice on the back side, you got your two plus two and then somebody else's two plus two, okay? mine and yours. Just for the sake of, hey, I want, I want to be engaged with what other believers are doing, share the names that you're praying for with one other person and have them share with you so that you can begin praying for the names they're praying for and they can pray for the names you're praying for and you can have accountability to initiate these conversations and these relationships because church, what, what grace means, sorry, i got to stand up, what grace means, grace means go. right? Grace doesn't mean stay. Grace doesn't, grace doesn't allow us to be passive people. Grace means we take the initiative, we go out, we engage. The Great Commission says, as you are going, and Jesus said, I just assume you're going. Because you need to be going, you need to not be staying. You need to not be sitting you, not be, you need to not be passive. You need to be getting after it because the church is on the move and you've got all of eternity to rest and to celebrate everything that God accomplished through you. But right now, you need to get up. You need to go. So go find those relationships. Go initiate with those people. Draw them into Jesus Christ. So that is your commission. I want you to write it down, front and back. Share it with one other person. All right. That's our commission for the morning. Now, before we close, I want you to thank Bishop Green with me. Would you please? Would you close
1: us in prayer? I want to thank God for the opportunity. I told pastor this was a wild moment. For whatever reason, God has chosen us for this moment. The most devastating time in our lives. I was in Mexico City. When the earthquake hit, I was sitting in Mexico City in the airport. I was getting ready to go to Oaxaca, going to the first site. We had been commissioned to go there. Mexico is my country, I'm the bishop. So if there's tragedies, it's my concern. So we had sent a semi down with food in it to aid the people and on our way there, they told us in the the airport, we're gonna have a earthquake drill going to have an earthquake drill. The drill never happened. We had an actual earthquake. The ground began to shake the sound of the earthquake. The building began to tremble, waving back and forth. Thousands of people in the terminals were evacuated. The structure was damaged. The runway, they shut down all the planes. I didn't know then that I would encounter That kind of devastation. We had to leave that city and go into Hidalgo. Come back the next day to understand that hundreds of people had been killed. We're in a very trying time. God has summoned the body of Christ. If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain. If I command the locusts to devour the land. If I send pestilence among my people. If my people, which are called by my name, we call ourselves by his name. So evidently he's talking to us. If they would humble themselves, in other words, recognize that I'm God. Humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. He said, I'll hear from heaven. There are some things that we need God to turn. And as the body of Christ, we have power to make it happen. He's given us a relationship. That we can say to the mountain, be removed, and it will happen. So I want us collectively, not me pray, I want us to pray together. Pray that God will heal the hurting hearts from the devastations. Whether it's in the Virgin Islands, whether it's in Puerto Rico, whether it's in Dominican Republic, whether it's in Chiapas, whether it's in Oaxaca or Mexico City, or whether it's in Houston or Florida, all over Texas, wherever there is devastation. Their lives have been lost. Somebody is hurting. And we are blessed to be able to pray for them. Let's pray. Eternal God, I want to thank you for your sovereignty. I want to thank you for your grace, your mercies, and your truths. Suddenly, I want to thank you for this hour, the opportunity that you've given to us to commingle and dialogue. That you might stir our pure minds, that we might embrace the truth concerning Jesus Christ, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, that we might have eternal life. Thank you for forgiving our sins and blotting them out, causing us to have our names written in the Lamb's book of life. But God, we are concerned about the welfare of others. God, we're not selfish because you've not given us selfish hearts. But you've given us hearts full of love, warm hearts to care for the needs of others. You said you then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please yourself. I want to thank you for this opportunity that you have hoarded, Brother Brian and myself, to stand before the congregants and declare the righteousness of God through reconciliation. God, in your infinite wisdom, will you bless everywhere. Will you pour out of your spirit everywhere? Will you increase us in our love? Will you take away anything that's contrary to your divine will? Will you blot it out? Will you make us brand new? Will you create within us a clean heart? Will you renew a right spirit within us? And God, from this day forward, maybe somebody heard something that opened the eyes of their understanding that caused them to want to change, caused them to want to invite Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If there's any prejudices, a bias, a bigotry in our hearts that we are not aware of or we are aware of, will you take it away? Will you make us more like you? In Jesus'
0: name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, brother. All right, let's go be reconcilers. We'll see you next week.